You are listening to the Mythical Jesus Podcast, taking the Christ of faith seriously. A podcast that dives into faith development, cognitive development, using Jesus as the framework for that. We dive deep into the Jesus of the New Testament, showing him as the preeminent example of development and what that development looks like. Buckle your seatbelts. Sit back, enjoy the ride. This is going to be a lot of fun because diving into the Jesus narrative has never been done like this before. You can visit our website at christoffaith.org. On the site, you will find tools, resources, documents to help you in your faith development and to better understand Jesus, the teacher, and his role in that. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Come thou Jeff Fitch, welcome to the Mythical Jesus Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing really good, Bill. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm grateful for this chance to sit down with you. Uh, We're going to have a conversation today around cognitive development, uh, and I'm really looking forward to this. Before we jump into some of these questions, these ideas and concepts, I'm wondering if you might just give the listeners kind of a brief uh, intro, uh, as much as you want to tell us about yourself and kind of your background. Yeah, no, I, I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, I've really had a lifelong interest and passion around human development, spirituality, uh, social change, organizational change. Uh, and I've been working actively in that kind of work for the past 20 years or so. I, started an organization with some friends and colleagues called Pacific Integral about uh, about 15 years ago and we've been putting on transformative development programs during that time um, most notably the generating transformative change program which is run in the US and in Australia and New Zealand and also has been run in Africa and it's an integrally informed nine-month deep development program that uh, fosters the growth of both individual and collective life um, and leadership. So our work has been really at the juncture of individual growth, transformation and consciousness, and social change. Uh, and I mean that broadly in the sense of transformation of communities, families, organizations, larger social systems, and leadership. And um, yeah, I, before doing this work, I was in the technology world for a while. I'm a parent. Um, I'm uh, a musician and just a ordinary human being, kind of on an exploration and an experimental life, exploring these territories and learning, just like you. Oh, beautiful! So. Uh, I'll, I'll share a little bit of a, a personal background and tie it into kind of what I want to go into next, which is that uh, to find developmental theory, to get into cognitive development, I think all of us, we, we don't just happen to fall into this and go like, hey, that's an interesting subject. It feels like most people I talk to, and again, you're you're welcome to disagree and give me a completely different um, experience than what I'm used to running into. But in, in my world, People are raised in systems, often religious systems, and in those systems, some type of fracture happens. And when that fracture happens, they often feel lonely and they don't know how to make sense of the world. So they go looking. And when I went looking, um, I found things like Ken Wilber Spiral Dynamics. But even before that, I found uh, James Fowler's Stages of Faith, William Perry's 
uh, cognitive and ethical development, people like Kohlberg. Um, and I came across books like uh, Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulich, The uh, Critical Journey, uh, and other books that spoke on this de- development. And then, of course, it runs through stages. And when we're in those earlier stages, we often think we've arrived, and hence we're not really open to hearing about how we've just begun the journey. I'm just curious, what drew you into this field? Like what took you to a space where you're like, hey, I'm interested in development and I want to know what these stages look like? Hmm, That's a great question. I think my, there's a few things. I mean, one of the things that's really driven me to my own exploration and to learning about human development and growth and all of that is my own suffering. You know, it is on it. And I, and I honestly feel like, uh, that's really, you know, it's at the heart of, uh, of a lot of this kind of work is that, as uh, that we, you know, we struggle and we want to find answers and, um, and there's a kind of impulse to an evolutionary tension that we experience just through the own painful experiences that we have in life. And, and for me, you know, my own, um, uh, early life as, uh, you know, a child of, uh, divorce and a family that, that, uh, in some ways fell apart. Um, uh, and my own experience of that, I really sought to, you know, I was seeking something. So that's part of it. You know, part of it is, is, a is, kind of my own uh, experiences of insight and, uh, and awakening and and um, as I started to explore having kind of ahas or shifts or altered states of consciousness or insights that that began to point to like oh there's something new and different and there's a it really like kind of fanned the flame of my own existential inquiries um you know and then i kind of i can also you know frankly you know bill look at it as you know as as spirit moving through me you know so like we often say well what what drew you to this you know it's like (laughs) what what draws us to anything you know it's at some level it's a kind of profound mystery yet we're drawn and um and we and we all in some ways seem to be there seems to be an impulse in life towards something greater and more whole. And, and, and that, that's a kind of, I, I think a kind of broad reflection to your question. Um, my own spiritual journey took some ins and outs in my, you know, my teenage and 20, twenties. And, and, uh, you know, as I was trying to find my own kind of self in the world and that kind of thing. And, but it really, um, took on form when my, um, when my first son was born. And, and I think as I, as I look back on that moment, I didn't really know what was happening at the time, but there was just some profound, um, power and mystery to that experience of, of, you know, having a child, which is still, you know, every day in my life, um, you know, is a, is a deep blessing and, and, uh, teacher and, and so I think at that time it really began to open things up. And that was at the time when I, when I was also stepping out of, you know, as you say, kind of the, 
you know, the, the social framework that I had grown up in. And I started to look for, um, you know, have a sense of a kind of more authentic path and, and exploration of different perspectives. And so it began a period of my life of really exploring spirituality and, you know, and, and that evolved in different ways. And, and then at a certain point, um, I became uh, became aware of the work of Ken Wilber, and that brought me into a whole new set of understanding about many different perspectives on this topic and um, explored um, psychology and spirituality and integral philosophy and developmental psychology and and many different aspects of it as I began to see, oh, there's a bigger picture here. Like like you say, we're part of a, this is part of a much larger story and we're somewhere in the middle of it to the beginning of it. I don't know where we are on it, but it's, uh, <laughs> uh, we're somewhere beyond the big bang and not yet at enlightenment. <laughs> yeah. One, one has so. <laughs> to wonder, one has to wonder, you know, if we were to go back a, a million years and, and look at some of these early, uh, hominoid species and whatever stage they were collectively at and what was the maximum stage one could reach uh, in that development. And obviously it wouldn't be some of the stages that we have in, in our, these later diagrams today wouldn't even exist then. So you have to wonder if there's even perhaps a stage or two that's beyond kind of what we think is the ceiling at present uh, in, in the future of, uh, of the human species. Um, I want to ask you this, which is, again, for me, and I'm speaking to people who are thinking about religious paradigms, and when they think about the fractures that happen within religious paradigms, uh, someone like James Fowler, for instance, speaks to uh, faith development, and we kind of see it just from that angle. But as you point out, it, it encompasses every facet of life. It really is the human experience. Uh, it doesn't. It isn't just happening inside a religion. It isn't happening just inside a, a high demand fundamentalist religion. It happens in all of them. It happens outside of religion. It happens in our jobs and in our marriages and our relationships with our children. Um, what I want to ask is this, which is that uh, development. You and I understand that it's important. I can speak to the fact that I thought it was important because I. It gave me a framework that showed me I wasn't alone and it gave me a framework I could help others see that gave them a roadmap as well to see that this wasn't just a, a, a religious experience. This was a human experience and whether it happened in this religion or another, whether it happened even outside of religion, if one's open to it, life has a way of waking us all up to moving into later stages. Why, but here's my question. Why is it important to human development? Why? We all understand on an individual level. Why collectively? What is going on with the human species right now? And why is this kind of idea um, something that's going to be helpful if, if humanity on a larger scale could wrap their arms around this? Mm. Well, that's a good question. Yeah, no, that's really, that's really a good question. Hmm. It's a big question too. It's a it's a really big question. I'm a bit daunted by it. You know, it's, it, it um, is why. But why have so at Pacific Integral, for instance? Why we obviously working with individuals? You're helping each person kind of wake up to their own life. Mm -hmm. right. but what's happening collectively with humanity right now? Right. Why, why is this useful to them? Yeah, no, I I get it. Um, well, there's there's a there's a 
there's a couple of things that I think I want to, I want to, I want to answer the question from a couple of different perspectives, which might in some ways seem to conflict with each other, but it, it maybe will, maybe will fill out a couple of dimensions. Um, one, one of the things to note is like, we're talking about, we're, you know, we're, we're doing this, talking about this in the context of cognitive development and, um, uh, you know, adult development theory and those kinds of things where we, where we begin to understand. So in case, you know, not everybody's aware of that, that's an understanding that our mind, our consciousness continues to grow and evolve, has the potential to continue and grow and evolve throughout life in, in not just through experience or uh, gaining kind of practical wisdom or skills or things like that, but in the same way that a child goes through profound paradigm shifts and transformations in the level of capacity and complexity, you know, that, that, that they grow, that they go through when they're growing up, that adults can do that too. We've had a kind of myth about what it is. And I think it's a, both a myth and I think it's some, I think it's a bit of a cognitive limitation too that might be innate. But we've had a kind of understanding that like when you grow up and you're a kid and you grow up, you go through all of these like massive changes. You know, it's like, I remember as a parent of a young child, you go away on a business trip and you come back a week later and you're like, oh, my God, look what my child is doing now. And it, and it's like uh, it's amazing. And then but but the other side of that story is that we become an adult and then that's kind of where it stops. And there's actually um, not that, you know, not that we don't continue to grow and gain skills and stuff and and um have successes, but the kind of dramatic change that people go through when they're young is is childhood development. But what the research shows, as you know, and I just want to kind of put this in as a as a kind of stake in the ground, the research shows is that we can continue to go through um, really transformative, qualitative shifts in our capacity as we evolve through life. And one of the reasons that, you know, uh, we theorize that we don't necessarily do that is that you kind of grow to the cultural center of gravity. And to grow beyond that requires, you know, kind of popping out of that culture. So if you're embedded in a, in a kind of specific culture, you can kind of grow up to that, right? And you can kind of learn to fit in and kind of make sense at that level. But then to grow beyond that is painful because you have to move out of that culture. You have to find a different context, whether it's education or whatever, um, or a different, you know, group of people that stimulate you to grow beyond that, or maybe just the innate, you know, readiness does. Um, and so um, having said that, um, you, you know, there's one of the things that we know from development is that you can grow to greater spans of complexity and thinking of care of ethical development of um, ability to take perspectives um, so a, a, a very simple thing if you look out at the world today is it's it's rife with conflict um, and uh, division and polarization and if we look at that through the lens of adult development, through developmental theory, we know that there's a path to grow to greater levels of integration and coherence. 
So there's every reason to think that that if we can grow up as a larger society, we can learn to be more effective in addressing the challenges and problems that we have to really creating, you know, a better, um, you know, a better life on earth, a better human existence. And so in a way, the question kind of has the answer in it to me, which is that, which is that we're which is that we're here to evolve and be, to be better as human beings, not just individually and collectively. And and what this kind of understanding points to is that there's that there's every potential for that. Now the other the other kind of perspective I wanted to bring is that is that I want to just caution that that growing doesn't necessarily make us a better person. You know, it's a kind of um, it's a it's a kind of uh, paradoxical thing but there's we have to just look at uh we have to look at the whole endeavor of becoming more human more more just more caring and more integrated uh, beyond just the perspective of of developmental stages because there's much more to it so so i just want to say that too that um if you look at it in the broadest sense um you know uh to me the project here is really to help create a world that is more whole and just and caring and beautiful and sanctified and, and, um, you know, living up to our potential. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. It's, it's okay. a beautiful thing when we, you know, you point to this idea of just being kinder to each other as you and I both know. And again, I run into a problem where I often think of these stages as the later stages are better than the stages behind. And it's easy for uh, us to sometimes use them as a weapon or to judge others based on the fact that, you know, we think we're in this stage and that person's in this stage behind. So I don't, I don't want to address it in that way, but I do want to speak to this idea that when we are in uh, a stage that's deeply planted in ethnocentricity, where there's us and them, it's a binary stage we we associate with our like-minded tribes and anybody in our tribe can be trusted and is good and one of us and anybody outside of our tribe is bad and anything they say should be understood with skepticism and and yet we you as you just pointed out if we collectively as humanity can grow out of that stage and can appreciate diversity and begin to see other humans who are very diverse as also us, then it feels like the violence in the world would depreciate significantly. And I, and I assume you, on some level at least, while recognizing that people can develop and still develop new shadows and flaws, that that perhaps collectively violence would be significantly diminished um, by us moving collectively out of ethnocentricity as our as our main footing or our main ground. Yes, I think it's um, what I would say is, is it's really necessary, um, but perhaps not sufficient. Um, and uh, but I do think over the long run that growing out of that that either or mindset sets the seeds and the conditions that we can uh, come to have a more encompassing view of who we are and the community that we're in 
uh, we can be responsible not just for ourselves or our or our, or our, our tribe or our church or our country or our organization or you know our whatever can be we can be responsible for for all really yeah yeah you you said not sufficient and i want to i want to push there and i want to see what your thoughts are like so you're saying essentially as we move out of ethnocentricity that's a great step but it's not sufficient would you expound on that yeah um well let's just say um it's it's not, it's not a bad thing that it's not sufficient i'm just i'm just uh i'm just like like you said bill we you know we have to you know we can kind of think that later stages are better than earlier stages and that kind of thing i'm i'm just i'm and i'm and in the conversation i'll probably continue to do this i kind of put a little asterisk by what i say which is a kind of cautionary note you know that that you know that there's we we just want to make sure that we that we're not that we're considering everything that we need to consider. And so I'll just give you an example is that, um, uh, is let's just consider shadow and the unconscious in this, you know, we, we can grow to quite late stages of development, but we still have ethnocentric parts of ourselves and those can be unconscious and we can act them out unconsciously. Um, we have, um, parts of our unconscious cognition that are based in our tribal past. Um, and, and so it now it's paradoxical because it's necessary for us to actually grow beyond that ethnocentric consciousness to start to notice those parts of ourselves and to engage with them. But it's, but it's, uh, you know, let's just, I'll just give you data point, right? Which is that, you know, if you, uh, if you look at the 20th century, a lot of the, a lot of the damage that has been done has been done from modern consciousness. So, and, and I know that each stage there'll be, there'll be damage that we do. And it's just part of human nature that we're, we're evolving and becoming more complete. But I do think that development creates a more holistic consciousness that's more integrative, that's less divisive, and has all of the potential for ending conflict. Yeah, I love that. So so it's so I'm just I'm I'm sort of saying yes with an asterisk that there's that 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 we can still, you know, there are other parts of ourselves that need to develop. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I, I love the idea that if we leave ethnocentricity but we use for instance, development as a weapon, all we've done is created mm -hmm. another either or us them kind of paradigm. Right, right, right. It's a, you know, the mind, the mind is a kind of either or um, device. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it tends to, you know, distinguish and divide things into polarities. And, and one of the things in the, you know, one of the developmental models that we've worked with is was created by my um, uh, co-founder of Pacific Integral Park, Terry O'Fallon, who created the stages model. And one of the patterns that she, uh, you know, that she identified in development is this pattern of, of moving from a kind of polarized position where we're in that kind of either or thinking that you're talking about to more 
both and and then integrative or interpenetrative um, understanding of things, but that we do that like multiple, we go through multiple iterations of that as we become more aware. So there's, there's, you know, when we're kids, you know, um, it's either your toy or my toy. <laughs> it's black and white. And then we learn that we can share that, right? So it's your, you know, you, you can, you can have it for a minute and then I'll have it for a minute. It's a sort of both end where we have reciprocity, right? And, and then, and then we grow up as a, towards adulthood, we grow a more subtle mind and, uh, and then that pattern repeat, repeats. So, you know, we learn to share our toys, but then when we're a tech entrepreneur, we won't share our intellectual property. <laughs> you know, it's my intellectual property. You know, it, it, so, so we go back to that pattern of like being divisive at a more subtle level. And then, then we say, okay, well, let's go to open source, which is more sort of like sharing our toys. And, and the same thing happens at a, at a more refined level at what she calls the metaware stage, you know, where we, where we have parts of ourselves that we're just becoming aware of, but that we're a bit polarized about. And then those become more, more uh, integrated. So it's a, it's a, so development progresses, but we also kind of, it's also a kind of iterating pattern where we, where we go through the process over and over again. And so it, it's, it's good not to be too idealistic about the later stages. Oh, I love that. I love it. Um, does that make sense what I'm saying? It, no, it absolutely does. That essentially we never really, like, as much as we would like to think, like, oh, I moved out of, egocentricity or I moved out of ethnocentricity, I'm, I'm still there every day of my life. We, we never leave it behind. We carry it with us. And so the more that we can be aware of this developmental framework, the more we can be self-conscious of when we're dipping our toes from stage to stage and, and, and maybe even intentionally still hold that stage um, because it may be useful for various things in our life, but also recognizing like to be, to be vulnerable to it to um, be, I'm trying to think what the word is, to be um, willing to essentially like see your own shadows. And I think often it's hardest to see it in ourselves. Um, so I, I do, I know I do love that. I, I want to hit on it because what it brings up for me is this idea that, again, if I look across time and space and I look at human development over the last, say, million years with, with whatever human beings were a million years ago, and there's this recognition that putting ourselves in tribes, putting ourselves in groups, um, learning certain ways in which like, I know that this person's a person from my tribe because of these characteristics and hence I can trust them would have been absolutely essential to that stage at time, that, that moment in our world's history um, for, a for, you know, for a forager and a gatherer, for a hunter, for them to go about with 10 or 12 of their, of their tribesmen to, to go hunt some animal and to know uh, that they can trust each one to carry out their duty and responsibility. But as, as we're now in 2018, and not that we don't need that still, but one of the things I want to hit on is this idea of authority. And so uh, in development, we, we often hit a stage, and again, I, it usually for me at least, I... I put these simple labels on of ethnocentricity when I recognize like there's a, there's a, you know, several stages, even with that being the center ground. Um, 
the idea that in ethnocentricity, we often have outer authorities inside our tribe, and we trust them to know the truth. We trust them to to have all the answers. And this can be the President of the United States. It can be a teacher in a classroom. It can be our parents. Uh, it can be our football coach. Uh, it can be, you know, it could be a hundred different people, but we always see them as insider. And we see them as, because they're outside of us, we, we trust them to be the experts. And as we enter into later stages, somehow that gets fractured and we begin to sense like, oh, they don't have all the answers, and we begin to move to a space where we start to listen to uh, other voices um, outside our tribe, kind of testing them, and then eventually move into a place where we kind of develop um, an inner authority, where we begin to say, like, I know my leader of my tribe is saying ABC, but it doesn't feel right, and I'm going to go with my gut. Um, I wonder if maybe you could speak to that process in, in a sense of maybe... Uh, helping us understand maybe what moves us, what kind of things are happening that move us from a, a locus of authority outside of ourselves, but in the tribe, to opening ourselves up to hearing voices of wisdom in other places, including ourselves. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really good question. So you're you're speaking to a, a really particular kind of um, segment of the developmental pathway, you know, and. Um, I, I like the term authority. Um, if I could start just by distinguishing that a little bit, I, I want to, you know, if you could say that an ethnocentric stage, because there's a couple of different forms of authority that are really close to each other that you kind of spoke to. But at a, at a, at a truly sort of conformist stage, um, we see authority in position. So like you said, maybe we turn to the president, but you didn't say like the specific president, you just said the president. And, and there's a kind of, so there's a kind of, you could say it a, a truly sort of ethnocentric or conformist kind of, um, and that's a terminology from the stages model um, uh, uh, stage where we're really in a kind of concrete collective stage where, where it's a, a collective orientation and it's, it's at a sort of a visible, explicit collective, you could say. Uh, so we look to the position. So the authority comes from not just from a person who's an expert, but who's a person who's in that position. Um, it's the position that's granted authority. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then and then the expert is a little bit different because that that's a, someone who's like actually developed knowledge. So that's sort of the beginning of of you know a kind of more subtle uh, abstract thinking. Um, like anybody can be an expert, right? They just have to they just have to gain the expertise. So that's that sort of already kind of breaks the hierarchy a bit, but. But they kind of, in the earliest stages, they kind of get fused because usually the experts are the people who get those positions. Um, but it's really at that point, it's like, okay, we're starting to think for ourselves. Like, I don't know the answer, but I, so I turn to the expert. It's very similar to turning to the president. Um, but then what we start to do is we start to understand, like, oh, I can be the expert. Like, like I have my own thoughts. I'm doing my own 
um, critical thinking. I'm, I'm doing my, using my own reasoning and my own abstract thought and my own observation about the world to discover my own mind. Uh, and so, uh, we begin to question. And so I think your, your, your question had to do with how you navigate that. And I, one of the, you know, one of the really, uh, just kind of disorienting dilemmas of that navigation is, you know, you, you know, one day you were in embedded in a system, you, everything made sense. Um, you know, you had the, you know, the thoughts, the views, the beliefs, the myths, the understanding of the world that really came through that community, through the authority of that collective. And one day, you know, you get up in the morning and you're drinking your tea and all of a sudden your mind is racing in another direction. You're realizing you're having all sorts of conflicting thoughts with that. And, you know, you might be able to put those out of your head for a while. But what's happening is your your mind, your your subtle mind is really becoming aware and you're starting to have all these ideas, your own ideas that you're unique, unique. And we often have it in relationship to our family. You know, you hear you learn all the stories about your family, about what happened and who your parents are and who the, who everybody is growing up. And all of a sudden you think half that stuff I heard wasn't true. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was people's stories about what happened and you start to have your own ideas. And so at that point, you know, so it, it at that point, it's kind of the birth of rational consciousness. Um, um, not to say that, that earlier stages are irrational, but that this is the this is the stage of development associated with modernism, with science, with with critical thinking, with with the idea that we are each observing a world with our own you know mind and and making critical distinctions and understanding, theorizing, testing our understanding, seeking the truth, and that. So the truth then becomes the authority, and nobody really holds that. It's a, it's, um, it's ultimately up to us to discover, and the experts are involved with that. But it's, but it's not experts that have been given authority through the hierarchy or the, or the system. I'll just pause there and see if that's speaking to what you're, um, what you're wanting to explore. Yeah, no, no, that's interesting. It, it brings up for me some thoughts in my own journey as I've thought about. There was a time in my life where I gave deference to the authority simply because they held that position. And so when I would go to them, I was even afraid to ask the difficult questions because who am I, right? Who am I to, to go to the authority and to ask them a challenging question and to push back, right? Like I sensed it was inappropriate. And so there was a level of respect and deference to the position that prevented me from even asking the questions. And then I can, I can distinctly remember when like this light bulb switch goes on and I suddenly realized like, Oh, like if I do that, I'll never get to ask the questions. There'll always be somebody in the position. There always will be this deference. And so I come to a place in my life where I'm like, even if I make that person uncomfortable, even if there's risk of whatever it is, rejection, pushback, shame, whatever all those things are, I'm going to ask the question anyway. Um, the other thing it brings up for me, I'm going to let a, a medical vehicle drive by. All right. So the other thing that comes up for me is this idea that we can also see others 
reducing our voice, or we might re- reduce the voice of others by um, requiring them to hold the position. In other words, we often can get into conversations about very important issues, and we decide who gets to play in the sandbox and who doesn't by whether they have a college degree, or whether they hold a political office, or whether they uh, are, are a position of authority in law enforcement, or in the judicial system, or uh, because they're an adult. Um, and, and hence, we're a 16-year-old, and we don't feel a right to be able to challenge them. Um, so I, I see those things play out in my own life. I'm just, I'm curious maybe if you can, if you have a story or two that you want to share of how that's played out in your own so that people can also see maybe another example of, of when that light bulb goes on and you begin to see authority differently. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it's a good question. You know, Yeah, I mean, I think really it's been a to me, Bill. It's really it's it's really been an ongoing process. You know, it's it's um, it's it's a it, you know it's it's really um, been an evolving process for me. And there's been many stages to this these shifts that you're that you're talking about. Um, and and I I think the like a part of the, as you're talking about this, this may or may not speak to what you're talking about, but as you're talking about it, what what keeps coming to mind is my is my dad, and I think in my own life I associate I associated a lot I associated authority with my own experience and my father, and 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 part of my own journey or my own growth has been you know i don't mean just my father but just the idea that there's a there's older people in positions of power and because they're there they really know what they're doing and they know more than i do and um and just like you say you know these sort of um yeah positions of authority and and the more i've the more i've evolved and grown and the more i've spent time with people and maybe the more i've gotten older the, the more I see that as really a construct, you know, that the, that the people in authority and in some ways being in a position of authority on holding power is a very limiting context. So, so part of what you're speaking to here, I think, is starting to get into understanding of context, which, which really takes it a stage beyond this, you know, um, just having your own mind of things, but understanding that that we that we see the world from different perspectives and we can project on the world views of authority and power and um and uh and in doing that we can limit our own our own power and our own authority um so uh i think i'll just pause there i i I don't know bill if i have an a really good kind of story but one might come to me in 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 a minute and if it does, I'll, I'll bring, I'll bring it back. When, when one hits these, um, so in, in spiral dynamics or in integral theory, and I'm only vaguely familiar, I'm only uh, maybe a little intellectually aware, but not really lived the experience, if that makes sense in, yeah. in it. So I, I understand like the diplomat stage and I understand 
the individualist stage and the expert stage and those what comes along with a little bit of that. Now, when someone's in a system, and, and by system, I mean, again, we're talking maybe specifically in a religious system, um, but I want to at least make note that this happens in a school system. This happens on a football team. Right. It happens in uh, uh, in a family. It happens in uh, just in a culture, in a country. As people begin to take their authority back a little bit, where they start to say like, oh, I have something to add to this. I, I have a view, and my view is valid for the re- you know for whatever reasons I deem it valid. And just because I'm not the expert doesn't discredit what I'm having to say. When people do that, there's a ton of pushback. Uh, again, we live in systems that say, hey, you have to look a certain way. You have to follow certain rules. You have to stay within these boundaries. And, and some of that keeps us safe. Um, some of that uh, is to maintain order and control. And we get that. But on some level, the moment you start to think differently than the accepted way the system has lined out, you immediately begin to get pushback from the system. The system uh, often will, uh, especially in religious systems, the system will shame you. It'll begin to label you with terms that point to you being an outsider and having to fix something about yourself Mm -hmm. rather than open the system up to any type of criticism. That places one um, emotionally in a precarious position when they're dealing with those kinds of emotions for the first time where they sense like, oh, I hold this new ground and this new ground isn't acceptable to the system that I live in. And if I am authentic, if I'm authentic, I'm going to lose some sense of belonging. And and that brings, man, does that bring angst and turmoil any thoughts from you on, I know part of it is you just have to sit with it. Part of it is you just have to live into it or lean into it. <laughs> but do you have any other thoughts on if people are experiencing that for the first time and don't know exactly what it is yeah. and it's hurting and it's causing fracture in relationships and they're beginning to be deemed an outsider, what are some suggestions for things they could do or, or, or should maybe try doing to kind of live into that? Yeah, it's a really good and really important question. It's um, there's a, there's a way in which the the particular developmental shift you're talking about this is this can be very poignant, right? Like we're but let's just kind of zoom out and look at big picture for a moment. Like like if if we're evolving beings, right? If then we're going to change. So if 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 you and I are in a relationship with each other, if we have a friendship or we're in a community together, what happens is, is that community uh, often assumes it's a, you can think of it kind of like we made an agreement for you to be you and me to be me. (laughs) It's like, hi, how are you? Oh, you're you. I'm me. Okay. Let's be you and me together. But then, then we, one of us changes. Right. We start to think differently. We start to look differently. And all of a sudden that breaks that whole agreement, you know, that 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 creates turmoil. And and you go, oh, wait a minute. I thought you were like this. And now all of a sudden you're like that, you know. And and so what happens is is this really occurs throughout development. But the thing is that as we grow to learn the process of development, we become much more comfortable with it. 
but it's a, it's a challenging thing whenever we change, right? Like change is beautiful and it's good. It can also feel threatening. It feels like, like if I'm going to change, you know, what's going to happen to my marriage and my family or my community, or maybe I won't want to do the same kind of work anymore or, or the things that I thought were important will shift. And that, that can be threatening because we want to feel like we're part of a community. So it's not just, it's not just, uh, an outer system that's preventing us from being ourselves. It is also within us, you know, that, that it's, that changes can be challenging and threatening. And so here's, I mean, one of the things that's really, really can help is to understand more about development. So I would just, you know, like what you've done to, to study it and to learn how the stages work and demystify it, super, super helpful. Because then all of a sudden you can realize, you know, okay, we're evolving. Uh, same, not just individually, but collectively. We can understand like, oh, I'm part of this system, whether it's a religious system or an organization. And we can say like, okay, well, here we are, 2018, this is how it's working, you know, in 10 or 20 years, it might be different, you know, so then, then when we start to see things happen, we don't have to think that they're just a threat to the system, but we might say, oh, this might be changing, happening. And we might have to tolerate some, some ambiguity and some tension. And so learning about development, number one, is super helpful. Um, the, the the second thing I would say is it can be really helpful as you change to find um, to find like minded people that understand what you're going through that kind of um, which I think you know as as I understand is kind of part of what you've done Bill is you you've allowed yourself to go through your own changes in the community that you've been in um, you know correct me if I'm if I'm wrong but then had people who kind of, you know, who, who identify with that and kind of say, Oh, this is, this is interesting. I, I feel similar. I've had similar experiences so that you not to abandon, you know, your existing communities, but, but to also have people who reflect and validate and understand and support you in what you're going through, who can be a system of support. That's, that's also really important. Um, and, and to do your own personal development work to, you know, growth, human growth is like any kind of growth, right? You, you know, if you want to become a better basketball player or a better guitar player, you know, it's important to get support, to practice, to take lessons, to, you know, it's the same thing with human development to actually, to actually discover what would support me in my development right now. What are my own learning edges? Um, where do I have blind spots? Um, and to ask for help to seek people who do this kind of work and, and, and to get support in your development. Those are some things that I think are helpful. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, so now here's where, where, my own um, understanding is going to stop and I'm going to share a question that I have that I truly am wrestling with and trying to understand. And, and I, and I think it is a difficult question because I think you'll understand when I give you the question in a moment, but, but some people can do this. Some people can't. 
And it isn't always because of capability. Sometimes it's what the system is asking of us. Um, and so my, my question is this, which is, it, specifically in religion, we, we grow up with stories, as you pointed out earlier, those stories we come to find out are myths. And as we learn that they're myths, um, we sometimes grow frustrated with what we perceive as betrayal, like the system sold us something and that was a false mm. bill of goods. Mm. And so as we deconstruct that religious system, and again, I'm, I'm being specific there, when we deconstruct that religious system, we often start to see the trauma and the harm that it causes yeah. to others. And so we become an advocate for change. We become an advocate for healthier uh, mechanisms. We become an advocate for more appreciation for diversity. So if you grow up in a church that's, say, uh, anti-homosexual, for instance, and as you become an adult in later stages, you start to like give space for like, oh, they're human just like me, even though they're different than me. And we start to see value in human beings, even when they don't make the same um, life choices, nor could they, that we do. And, and so we start to push back against our system, asking it to be kind and to be nice. Some systems, we are in a place in its history that we see enough change to justify staying. And for others, we see the trauma as being too great. And eventually, like myself, we end up outside of our tribe, whether we removed ourselves or the tribe removed us. In the later stages, people seem, at least in my conversations with others on development, people seem to get to a space where they have the ability, the wherewithal, to step back into their religious system. It's not that they believed again, at least not literally. They still understand it's myth. But somehow they're able to go back in, even amidst the harm that the system does, and do what they can from the inside, but without it having the um, emotional drain or the trauma being imposed on them as they go back in to, to be back in that community, um, knowing full well that it doesn't match their own values and ideals. And I wonder maybe if you can speak to that, because it's a mystery to me. And I see people, you and I have a common mm -hmm. friend, um, Thomas McConkie, who, who's done that very yeah. thing. Uh, and, and I look at him and I don't, know, I don't know how he does it. And I'm just curious if you can explain what it is that happens <laughs> later on that allows someone to go back into a system um, even with the differences and the trauma that that's happening around them. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, um, it's, a, it's, it's a really good question. And, um, uh, you know, we, when we, when we develop, there's a kind of dialectic that happens, right. Which is, if you want to think about it in stage development, uh, in terms of stage development, when we grow, when we step forward, you know, there's a part of that process which is pushing away where we just were, right? It's 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 I want to I want to take a step forward. So part of the process is rejecting the place that we just were. Yeah, there's an aversion to that right. stage just behind us. It, it's a differentiation, right? So so it's like, you know. In order to become a 
toddler you had to reject being an infant right <laughs> in order yeah, to become yeah. in order to become a uh, a socially you know integrated child you had to reject being a an egocentric toddler right you know there's there's nothing you know there's no one who's less tolerant of a stage than the one that's just moved beyond it right i i, I remember when my you know when my older son sort of started to to move into his rational consciousness state and his younger brother was still like just acting and dressing and doing all the things that he, his friends did. And he was, he was, you know, he was still in that kind of diplomat conformist stage. And, and he just had nothing but <laughs> contempt for his younger brother, his older brother sometimes do, you know, because he was, he would, he couldn't believe that he was just doing what his friends told him to do, but he was doing that just a couple years earlier. And so part of what happens is when we grow, there's this tension and this angst and, and conflict that we're trying to resolve on ourselves of the thing that we just left. And so, you know, like I, like, I'm sure you would be fine to go work with infants. <laughs> you know, you don't have any problem with that stage. You know, I'd even, have more patience now. Yeah. At a certain point, you know, you had to push it away. So it's, it's kind of no different, you know, in a way like, so one thing is like we, you know, you can think about um, one, one developmental theorist described this as a kind of dialectic. So we we differentiate from the last stage, and then when we move beyond that, we integrate the two previous stages. So we we're, we're constantly separating and integrating and separating and integrating. So over time, you know, we can we can part of the process is always looking back at everything, you know, that we've grown through and looking at the, the the earlier stages and finding them in ourselves and coming to be compassionate and embracing of them and understanding them better. And so have so that's the first point I would say. Um, the second point is, you know, everybody has their own kind of journey, right? And and um you know, I uh I spent years, you know, working in uh, in entrepreneurial environments in the technology business, and and I had my own kind of uh, painful experiences that, and got got it through my system and wanted to move on from it. I don't know if I would go back. I could, but I don't know if I would. You know, so you know, we each have our own kind of purpose and path in life, and for some, it's not going to be to go back. It's not that you couldn't. But um, it's just not where life is calling you. And, and you know, I mean, Tom is a really good example, but he, he also had to veer away from his tradition for, you know, a couple decades before he moved back into it. And, and I don't think that that's inevitable. But it also does show, you know, that, that as consciousness develops, we become more integrated and more embracing. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I think I think I would say that you know um, uh, my ultimately Bill my own sensibility that you know that I seek to live from is really just being embracing of everything. You know, I kind of sometimes have a a you know kind of a thought experiment. Like if I could decide to be born right now in 2018 and live a life here with everything that's going here on the planet, with 
all of our, you know, development and all its various different places, you know, war, poverty, um, environmental collapse, confusion, all of that kind of stuff, enlightenment, <laughs> you know, science, everything we got going on, would I want to be here? And that's, it's a big yes for me. You know, I, I love this existence and everything going on with it. And I, I just understand that we're, that we're all growing and, um, and evolving here and learning just like everyone who's in a religious system or a tradition. And we have to really honor the, the, you know, whatever trauma or pain or, you know, injustice that we've experienced and not turn away from that and not, you know, bypass it, respect it, you know, give it its due. It's real. Yeah. 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 To, to, to hand out trauma to others or to have trauma imposed upon us is, is also just to be human. Like there's no way to be a human being and avoid trauma, both giving it and receiving it. Right. And, you know, when we say that we're speaking, we're speaking, um, in a kind of broad perspective, but you would never say that to someone who was suffering from trauma. Right. So you wouldn't say, Hey, that's just part of life. Right. Because that's real. So it's, it's the both and of that bigger picture that we're evolving at this part of life and, and that, that there is that, that just to respect the actual real lived experiences of people who have been through it, you know, and, and to be responsible for that, to write injustice, to make, you know, to stand for inclusion to, you know, all of the things that are inspired by that awareness. Yeah, I, I think as you say that, it, what, I'm th what comes to mind is this idea that once I recognize that trauma, both giving it, that I was at fault for giving trauma to others and that I had received trauma at the hands of others, both intentional and unintentional both ways, it, it broadened me a place where I moved from sympathy to empathy, where, where instead of just saying like, oh, that's too bad, like, you know, pull up your bootstraps and get back at it, I, I got to a space where I could stand next to somebody and put my arm around them and say like, let me, let me sit with you with this. And um, it's amazing, as you point out, as we dive into this, this transformative journey and we understand the stages, there's so many skill sets that come with it uh, that things we, as you pointed out earlier, like these changes aren't little tiny changes. They're really big and, and they feel like there's, we, we grow into them so slowly. And yet when you look back, like when I look back at where I was a decade ago, um, the changes have been so deep and transformational. Um, and so I appreciate you, you kind of opening up that space and allowing me kind of to, to have some of those thoughts of things that have changed with my own life. I want to, I want to wrap up and I want to, and, and I could do this all day, by the way, I, I love development and all of these questions. There's, there's a hundred more, but the one I want to wrap up with is this idea of myth. And so systems, all systems build their stories um, on myth. And, and we like to think like, no, like some stories are real and some are like, like George Washington and the cherry tree. The cherry tree is a myth. The, the $20 bill in my pocket is a myth. Um, because it's just a piece of paper with ink printed on it, and we've assigned meaning 
And that meaning is only what we culturally have assigned. It's only a piece of paper with ink on it. And even what a piece of paper is or what ink is, is myth. So religious systems tell stories and they tell those stories as they're, as if they're literal. Um, and they impose them that way. And for many of us who go through this journey, we begin to sense that some of these stories are myth. And a lot of people, when they recognize that, when they say like, oh, that's just made up, it isn't true, they walk away from that myth or whatever myths are particular to their system and they leave them completely behind. Mm -hmm. And yet there are other people who seem to say like, and maybe I'm asking the same question in a different way that we just talked about, but it seems like some people have the ability, and and I and again I'll I'll just point to myself. I love I've de and, and I'm not speaking for anybody, so I don't know where you stand religiously. So I don't speak as if like my truth is yours. Mm-hmm. I hope you understand that. Yeah. But but in my world, in my paradigm, I've deconstructed religion completely to the point where I understand that all religions, again to me, all religions are myth. They're all mythical stories. And yet, for some reason, I still love to swim in those waters. I love, even though I have serious, and I want to say serious doubts, but let's, if I'm honest, I'm just going to say I, I don't think like this Jesus guy rose on the third day, but I'm still deeply enveloped by his story. There's such human truth inside the myth. My question to you is, maybe your own personal thoughts on continuing to utilize myth, even once you figure out it's myth and what maybe the difference is for those who um, still feel attracted to swim in those waters, even once they realize the story isn't literally true versus people who uh, walk away completely from the story and no longer sense it has any usefulness at all. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a lovely exploration and question. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I think one thing I would I would want to leave you with is and leave everyone with is that in my own in my own experience. And my own belief and intention is that each of us has a kind of uh, inner wisdom available. Uh, I um, have often experienced this in my life as um, centered in my own heart. And uh, that has allowed me to navigate these questions. So I, I can share some thoughts on your question, but I actually trust that everybody who's sincerely engaged with those questions is navigating them already and um, is evolving to where they want to go and where they where they're meant to go in their life. Um, they, you know, the that kind of stepping back from myth and looking at what's true or not true is a necessary, you know, it's a necessary stage to go through on our own developmental journey. Um, the development of that sort of critical mind and 
Um, and now if bringing back what I said before about the kind of dialectic of growth where we, where we push away what's happened before, one of the ways that we can have healthy growth, Bill, is to, to understand that that's a natural tendency and not to over-exaggerate it. You know, to say like, oh, you know, yeah, you're challenging beliefs and looking at what's really true. Cool. You know, uh, that's natural. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's not, it's not necessary to, to, to fully abandon where you've come from, you know, or to disengage from it completely. It's part of life, right? So, um, you know, part of what we do too is we, uh, you could say development is a kind of, um, it's a kind of shifting relationship or experience of or interpretation or construction of, of, of the world and how we are. So those stories, you know, the story, you know, the stories that we carry on of, 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 of Jesus, we can have evolving relationships to it. Uh, to them and um, you know one of the things that really struck me once is the um, I think it was the religious scholar Reza Aslan who 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 showed that you know what we think of as as a religious literalism is really um, is really only like two or three hundred years old it's and, and I when I heard that I thought oh yeah okay I get that it's really kind of a an expression of that early modern consciousness right and one of the points he makes is that, you know, I mean, the editors of the Bible put it, put together a book that has all sorts of conflicting stories in it. <laughs> you know, it's like a modernist would sit down and say, okay, which one of these is right? And they would like, you know, put it in Google Docs and, you know, <laughs> work on it until there weren't any contradictions in the story. But, um, but, you know, his point is, his belief is that actually, you know, like what we think of as stories now from the modern perspective is so grounded in this question of is it true or not that 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 we that we grew to work with things on a literal basis. But really early on, you know, stories were never meant to be literally true. That's his point. So it may just be like a temporary stage we're going through with those myths where we where we really wrestle with you know, the, the, the truth claims in them and then, and then return to seeing them more as stories and that we seek a, you know, a, um, a source of meaning in them and, and, and so on. I, I think an interesting thing to think about too, Bill, is, you know, if this is all evolving and we're shifting and how we're seeing the stories, is there something that's like true through all of it? Is there something that's, that's there. And, and to me, there is, there's, um, you know, our own development and how we see the world, if it shifts and changes, there are, there are essential qualities and aspects of life that we're relating to throughout all of that. For example, love, you know, this is something that we experience at all stages and community, um, creativity, uh, spirit, you know, uh, the higher potentials. There, it, it, these are things that, that are there in our journey throughout, and and we we evolve and shift in our relationship to it. So, religion and science and 
commerce and everything grows up through that. But there's something that we're engaging with here. And I think this is a message that I want to that's important to me because um, what's often at the heart of these things, like, for example, religion, something's at the heart of that that's for the people who are who are experiencing that and engaged in their religious community and life is so, so profoundly important that when we talk about, oh, well, you can grow and you can sort of see that as myth, actually, I think the essence of it, my experience is the essence of what's most important, you can carry throughout life. You can still see it as myth and still have a spiritual life, still have a relationship to a higher power, to however you want to see that. And so it's important for me to say that, too, that as we evolve, there's essential you know, dimensions of experience, of human experience and of, of our, of our life that, that we're engaging with us that, that are part of the journey, no matter how much we evolve. And the things that are most important to you, you can have faith that they'll be with you. And the things that you need to let go of and move on from and shift and change, you can trust that process and allow them to change. Yeah, I love I love when you mentioned towards the beginning of that that you just trust people to live out their journey in ways that are best for them, um, and 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 I agree. Like maybe in some ways the questions I've asked try to almost push into a space of like, hey, this guy's doing it right and that guy's doing it wrong, and and I didn't mean it that way, and I and I know like there's an important truth there, which is to just trust the wisdom inside people. Uh, and to let them live out their journey differently than you and still know that it's valid, it's honorable, mm-hmm. um, as we just trust human beings to, to do the right thing for themselves and to, to lean into yeah. whatever it is they need or don't need. <laughs> well, sometimes when we trust our own that inner intelligence, it prompts us to engage in a conversation with someone we disagree with. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's complex. But, but my, you know, my... My feeling is that that there's a that there's something guiding us in our own you know there's a kind of, however you want to whatever story you want to tell about that there's there's a kind of innate wisdom or a, you know there's an innate path that we're each on and it's ours to discover it and to follow it and be true to it and uh, and uh, it sometimes doesn't isn't comfortable but um, it will dog us if we avoid it <laughs> until we until we take the steps that we need to take and and um, and uh, and be true to it. So um, that's kind of the the thought I have on that. Yeah, yeah, we're all in our own way, kind of on the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just I just want to wrap up asking for for listeners who want to know more about Pacific Integral, or if there's other resources you think would be useful. Can you maybe just help the listeners know how to find out more or, or to reach out to those resources? Yeah, you know, um, well, obviously, I mean, I just invite people to, you know, be in touch at any time that you, in any way that you want to. You can find me and all of us here at Pacific Integral at, the, at um, PacificIntegral.com. And um, we uh, would be happy to speak with, anyone about the, this kind of work or what we do and to be of support in any way we can um, and to 
invite people who are really want to take a kind of deep journey in this kind of work to look at the generating transformative change program. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of different organizations out there doing this kind of work. You know, Tom's work is great. The work of my partner, Terry O'Fallon is in the developmental model is, is really interesting work. Um, uh, but it's a, it's a, it really depends on, you know, what the needs of, you know, the specific needs of people are. There's, um, the, we've been influenced by the work of Ken Wilber, the integral philosopher, and also the work of Otto Scharmer, who works in um, social change um, in his practice, which is called Theory U. Those are also really amazing resources and communities of, of people doing practice. Um, yeah, make friends, have keep faith and heart and and, you know, just dare to follow your own wisdom. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Jeff Fitch, thank you so much for the conversation today. And uh, I'll, put, I'll put links up on the episode notes to, uh, to Pacific Integral as well as some of the resources and, and individuals you mentioned. Uh, I just want to say thank you for your time uh, and just appreciate uh, your insight into this developmental map. Thank you, Bill. It's been a really great conversation. I really appreciate it. Fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing.